The RPG After Years is part of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Find out more at probablywork.com. Yo, this is Corey with The World Is My Burrito podcast, a.k.a. Twimby, a personal project where I educate my listeners as I dive into various pop culture topics that alter the world around them, yet somehow fell to the wayside. Do you know who almost single-handedly created the manga industry of today? Which major world event changed the horror film industry as a whole? How did comics affect the world's perception of nuclear energy? Journey with me to learn some random stuff. Welcome to the RPG After Years, your weekly show covering all things RPGs from the past, present, and future. This is episode 92. I'm Scott. And I'm Rich. Coming up on today's episode, you guys all played along with us. We all beat it together. So now the time has come. That's right. We're reviewing the 2007 Xbox 360 action role-playing classic that spawned a whole franchise. It's BioWare's Mass Effect. Since this is a review episode, we won't be doing all of our normal segments. No news, no Patreon talk, no tea time, no catch-up, just some straight-up review goodness. But before we hit that up, here are some quick show updates. Rich, can you tell the fine people what is the RPG Club and what's going on with it? Oh, I would love to tell the fine people about the RPG Club. So the RPG Club is a game, or it's a series that we do on the show that's become very popular, where we nominate um, in the community, nominate a game, and we do this as a book club. So we do sections, break them up, and then we come back after two weeks to discuss the topics of that, uh, of the game, and what we felt, and, and what our community felt. And um, to get involved with that is open to everybody. But the nominations are closed to the Patreon. So for anybody that is, I believe, Scott, was it 5 or $10? $5. And $5 and above. So you match yourself, which is the current game that we're playing? That is to be determined. Um, checkpoint, still determined. And due date is to be determined. That is because nominations have started. They will close on Sunday, December 19th, at which point voting will begin. 
So that's when the community will start to vote on um, the next game that we'll be playing. Yep. I'm excited. I am too. Uh, as of this recording, uh, the, the nominations are opening in just a couple of hours, but by the time they're listening to this, they'll be open. So mm-hmm. we don't know what any of the nominations are yet, but we should know it's, what they are by the time the regular the public is listening to this. This is when the uh, democratic process kicks in where I start campaigning and start doing backdoor deals <laughs> in the alley. Yeah, just saying in the alley. I, I will offer up certain bribes and then I will lie about it to my constituents. Well, that sounds about right That's, for you. It's politics. That's how I do this. <laughs> <laughs> I will win a freaking game. I swear to God. Do you know what you're nominated? Uh, not yet? won once. Um, I haven't decided. Okay. Um, I will decide here probably the next, like, while we're playing it. It's in my head of what I want to do, uh, but I've got to appeal to the, to the masses of the Patreon yep. to make this work. So, and, uh, just so everybody knows, in case you're not familiar with the show, Mass Effect, the game we're reviewing today, was actually the RPG Club, this pat, the most recent RPG Club game. So we all played along uh, with our community uh, through the game, and that was it was a fun time. Yes, yes. But anyway, uh, moving on. So here are the RPGs that I released in this last week. We got Monster Rancher One and Two DX coming to Switch, mobile, and PC on December 9th. Also on the 9th was Loop Hero coming to Switch. On the 10th, they added Paper Mario 64 to Switch Online Premium. Uh, go play that if you have access. It's a great game. Also, Vaporum Lockdown came to PS5, PS4, and Xbox One on the 10th. And finally, Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning Fate Sworn came to PS4, Xbox One, and PC on the 14th. That was an expansion, apparently. Yes. But that's yes. it. Awesome. So let's talk about the RPGs releasing this coming week. There are two of them. Uh, Moon, PS5, PS4, December 16th. And Record of Lodos War, Delit, or Deedlit, and Wonder Labyrinth. PS4, PS5, Xbox S, X1, um, Switch, December 16th. What a title. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's weird. Record I thought that was, Lodos. I almost read that as dead. I almost read that as deadlift in Wonder. <laughs> deadlift uh, in the Wonder Labyrinth. I would play that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's all the RPGs coming out and the ones that came out, all that. So with all that out of the way, let's open our map of the galaxy and FTL straight into the review. Woo! Okay, so this is part one of the review. I don't think we're going to be able to fit everything into one episode, so we'll split this up. Today, we're going to be covering the development history and the story of the game. So Mass Effect 1 was originally released on November 20th, 2007 which was 5,132 days ago, or 14 years, zero months, and 23 days. Can you wow. believe this series is that old, Rich? Going back and looking at it and, and playing it, yeah, I can believe it. <laughs> Rich is like, I can totally believe it. Um, yeah. It came to Europe just a few days later on November 23rd, 2007, which was 5,134 days ago, or 14 years, zero months, and 20 days. So they had to wait a few days. Um, and then I also noted here, just for the historical sake, it came to PC on May 28, 2008, and the Legendary Edition, which is what Rich and I played, came out on May 14, 2021. So that was uh, just earlier this year. It was 14 years. I could have swore this thing came out when I was in high school. No, two years after I graduated high school. So, oh. yeah. Uh, I'm old. Yeah, I was still in high school. I guess I would have been, I would have been a junior. Huh. 
I'm so I do, old. It, my life. Where, where did our lives go, Rich? I don't know. <laughs> so another thing Why? we like to do on this show is um, go over what was like popular with the music and the movies at the time of release, what was going on in, in culture a little bit. So uh, the U.S. Billboard number one when Mass Effect came out was Kiss Kiss by Chris pa- Chris Brown featuring T-Pain. Do you like this song, Rich? Kind of do. <laughs> I but I thought when, it, when I thought I looked at it, the title, it says Kiss Kiss. I thought it was the Carly Rae Jepsen song. <laughs> I kind of like been, that song, too. That would have been different. Again, uh, the taste yeah. of music. I definitely remember this song being just like blasted out the radio all the time at one point. It's a yeah. memories. Can't believe the song's that old, though. 14 years. Jesus. Yeah, it's in the clubs <laughs> that I went to like three times. Yeah, right. In my life. In the UK, uh, we have a, something of a little bit of a different flavor. It was Bleeding Love by Leona Lewis. What about this song, Rich? You know, I actually like some of Leon Lewis's stuff. I'm surprised I don't hear much from her anymore. Yeah. I really loved her track from Final Fantasy 13. I feel like she just did it like say. two or three hits and then she disappeared. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, um, maybe she didn't want to. I like her song for FF13 as well, even though yeah. it doesn't really uh, make a lot of sense with the lyrics since it was <laughs> not made for the game. But Correct, but I loved it. Yeah. The, have you ever listened to the Japanese song that was actually made for the game? No. It's pretty good. Nope. Despite okay. being in uh, Japanese. But yeah, I wonder where, what Leona's up to these days. Ah, come back. Come back to us. You're nice. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Do you want to go over the movies? I'd love to. So, looks like the number one box office for the U.S. was Beowulf. Uh, directed by Robert Zimkis, starring Ray Winstone, Anthony Hopkins, John Malkovich, Robert Wright Penn, and Angelina Jolie. This movie was weird. Oh, did you watch it? I did a long time ago. Wasn't it like a CG movie? Kind of. Hmm. It's like mixed between both CG and that. I just, I don't recommend it. Okay. <laughs> I didn't hear anything good about it either. I mean, I've never seen it. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, it's got some stars in there for sure. I mean, Anthony Hopkins. Oh, I'm sorry, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Uh, John Malkovich um, and Angelina Jolie. I mean, they're all pretty big name stars. That reminds me. Angelina um, Jolie was just in um, what the Eternals for the MCU. And yeah, nobody yeah. liked that movie either. So, <laughs> well, What's hilarious is the fact that the people that we grew up on in the 90s and 2000s become, eventually, you become part of the MCU. I don't know if you noticed that. I feel like everybody becomes it's, part it, of the MCU eventually. Yeah. Eventually, yeah. You'll have every actor and actress in there. It's just... Uh, you know, you see yourself, uh, what was it, the Batman quote? You see yourself as the hero long enough to become the villain or something like that, what that quote was in uh, The Dark Knight Rising. It's, it's That's what it is, is. You become so powerful as a star, and then all of a sudden you get sucked into the MCU. I think I'm so, going to be in the MCU soon. So Yeah, that's what will happen. Exactly. <laughs> uh, in the UK, the box office number one was Quantum Solace, uh, directed by Mark Foster, starring Daniel Craig, 
Um, Olga. Carrie Lincom? I don't know. Sure. Judy Dinch is also. So those are our box offices um, around that time. Have you seen Quantum Solace? No, I'm not a big 007 fan. Me either. I was going to, then I feel better saying this. I have a confession. I've never seen uh, a 007 movie. So Neither have I. Oh, okay. Nice. It's all right. So, so we're not okay. both losers. Or actually, are no. we both losers or are we both winners there? I'm not sure. I think we're winners because it's the same thing. How much can one man do? I'm just saying. True. He's not a super spy. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, he is kind of is. So I like to think that they're all just like 007 is a role and it's different people. I don't know. I really yeah. don't know. <laughs> I also like thinking he's a clone. He dies every time. They just unfreeze a new one out, out of uh, UK. You know, maybe he was. I feel like you know Bill should give us some some information on that. He probably could if he so chose. Yeah. But he's useless. I think they're supposed to watch. I think they're supposed to watch it in the UK. It's required. Oh, okay. Double O Seven. It's required. Gotcha. Okay, ready to jump into the history? Let's go. Okay. Uh, so Mass Effect is a 2007 action role-playing video game developed by BioWare and published by Electronic Arts and originally released for the Xbox 360. It is the first game in the Mass Effect series and takes place within the Milky Way galaxy in the year 2138, where civilization is threatened by a highly advanced machine race known as the Reapers. The player assumes the role of Commander Shepard, an elite human soldier who must stop a rogue agent from carrying out the Reapers' galactic invasion. The game requires the player to complete multiple quests that gen generally involve space exploration, squad, and vehicular combat, and interaction with non-player characters. So that's just like basically that's what Mass Effect is. That's as simple as we can make, put it. So Star Trek. Yeah, it actually does share a lot of vibes with Star Trek, I thought, even though I'm not a big Star <laughs> Trek fan either. Yeah. So planned as the first, uh, the first chapter of a trilogy from the very beginning. So it looks like they decided right off the bat this was going to happen. That's a big um, bet. Mass Effect. Yeah. Because um, it could be bad. <clears throat> or a flop. So, yeah. Mass Effect was developed over the course of three and a half years and uses the Unreal Engine 3 as a groundwork. It was designed so the player would assume the role of a central character that could make important decisions and pack the story of the game in numerous ways. That's kind of Bioware's theme is how they develop a lot of those games. They like those um, kinds of games. Yeah. And the combat was designed um, designers to offer the tactics and customization of a role-playing game, but through a, sh a simpler and real-time third-person shooter interface. I, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I get, I could say so. Uh, this is, goes more into gameplay, but I, it felt less tactical to me than, uh, than I expected going in, but maybe I'm just bad at it. <laughs> I didn't really have any tactical to it. I just went through everything and just shot him in the face. Point and bang. Yeah. Pew, pew. Uh, the game was directed by Casey Hudson, who previously directed BioWare's 2003 title, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. And you're gonna, probably going to get tired of me saying Knights of the Old Republic because apparently a lot of things were influenced by that game for this one. Uh, Pre-production of the game began in early 2004, shortly after the Windows version of Knights of the Old Republic was released. As the development team has already experienced with the Xbox console, they decided to develop the game originally for its successor, the Xbox 360, due to its improved processing power and development tools. A total of 130 people were involved in the development of the game, and the first six to eight months were spent conceiving how the game would look. It uses Unreal Engine 3 as a groundwork, but on top of that, the team developed additional components for advanced digital actors, space exploration, and squad combat, resulting in BioWare's largest programming project at the time yet. 
During the game's three to four year development cycle, most of the time had been devoted to the development of these technologies. One thing that I find interesting about that is it talks about how they developed special components for digital actors. And yet I think we can probably all agree that the, all the human characters are uh, very close to, to approaching scary looking like they <laughs> unnatural. Yeah. It's yeah. A, I was going to talk about that later it's on. Unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is interesting. You said that I, I guess they put the two together. I literally just last night got a copy of Knights of the Republic on my switch. Oh, okay. And I thought about that. I was like, this is kind of similar to Mass Effect. So I didn't read this document yet. So how did you start it? Huh. Already? Yeah, I started it just a little bit. So it does definitely have the feel of Knights of the Old Republic. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Glad to have that com- confirmed. <laughs> yeah. So because Bioware wanted to create a more memorable story, Mass Effect was envisioned as the first chapter of a trilogy uh, from the beginning and having considerable technology, you know, basis would help shorten the development cycle of the future sequels. Um, I, I can see that in some of the stuff. Instead of designing a role-playing game where the player would control a blank protagonist, developers wanted to players to assume the role of a central character that would make important decisions. Uh, according to Hudson, this approach will allow them to create a unique level of intensity and cinematic power, uh, while at the same time give the players the same role-playing customization as previous Bioware games. Uh, choices and consequences were a high priority as developers did not want players to follow a predetermined path. Uh, due to the game's numerous dialogue options, the dialogue wheel was created to help players identify which responses belong to certain emotions. Um, this use of a d- uh, digital actors allowed a- developers to create conversations where characters would speak by using facial expressions and body movements. So, oh. Well, huh. then maybe they should have spent more time on that, as we were just alluding yeah. to. Because <laughs> uh, I, I think even for the time it was released, they it probably didn't look great. Um, I am glad that they chose to like have Commander Shepard be like kind of an established character, though, rather than like a silent protagonist. Because yeah, you know how I feel about silent protagonists; they suck. You love them. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> um, Hudson explained that they wanted to evolve the pseudo turn-based combat in Knights of the Old Republic into a real third, a real-time third-person shooter interface. The combat was meant to offer the tactics and customization of a role-playing game, but through a simpler and more intuitive user interface. It was also designed so that players would not need to press many buttons to pull off the squad's different attack combinations. The team worked closely with Microsoft on several elements of the interface to make sure the combat was tactical enough, and went through a lot of trial and error to balance the combat between role-playing game and shooter. <laughs> but again, Rich and I didn't really take advantage of the the tactical aspects. Did you ever, other than the opening mission, use the option to like tell your squad like where to go and where to stand and shit and what to do? Did I did it by accident once? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then I just let them go. Well, I, I mean, they have a tactical purpose. You know, my tactical purpose is for them. What's that? Bullet sponge. There you go. <laughs> That's all I wanted them to do. I didn't care about anything else. I just wanted them to get out there so it takes the heat off me. Yeah. So they came back. And I didn't so, start using the, the the command menu or whatever until towards late in the game when I figured out how useful stuff like shield was. Um, but oh, yeah. I use assassination a lot. Oh, right. The sniper rifle. I just mowed past robots that way. Gotcha. Um, okay, so creating a great sense of discovery was a major goal. Sure. If they wanted to do that, then they should have had more than uh, like two maps that you could go to for the side quests. <laughs> yeah. Uh, developers wanted the game to feature an actual galaxy that could be explored beyond the core of story locations. Yeah, I can see how they did that. Um, a very large team manually built several p- uh, parts of the galaxy, and they were able to expand the playable space significantly by using internal development tools. 
classic space exploration games such as Starflight and Star Control were cited as major inspirations. These uh, these encouraged the team to create the M35 Mako for exploring the game's uncharted worlds and develop game mechanics to survey planets from space. All you had to do is push a button. Yeah. To, to exp- <laughs> yeah, sure. you literally click the planet on the map, and hey, that's that's the survey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Star Control 2 would also be an inspiration for their writing and character design. Um, I'm totally I mean, unfamiliar the, with Starflight and Star Control. Don't know anything about them. I don't either. I mean, the exploration part of it, like the the big pl- the planets that you could click on and stuff, um, sure, seemed like there's a lot there. But, you know, realistically, there wasn't. Like you said, Scott, it's just more of a you click a planet, read a dialogue box, survey it, move on. You yep. could potentially go into one of them, one or two. That's really it. Pretty much every like galaxy had one explorable planet, but um, yeah. most of, there's only a couple that stand out in my memory. They're like very unforgettable. It's just like a wasteland terrain that you drive around on, and then you get to a base typically, and then yeah. you go in there, and there's a short firefight, and that's it. Copy and paste almost. Yeah. What I would love to do is be able to go down on a planet that's been undiscovered and have their civilization treat me as a god. Maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day. You just show up and it's like, these these people are undeveloped. And then they show up and they just worship you. By the way, speaking of the Mako, uh, that was my favorite part of the gameplay. I love driving that thing around. But uh, <laughs> I, I think I learned it just yesterday that they didn't bring it back for Mass Effect 2 and 3. So I'm kind of heartbroken over that. Oh. <laughs> uh, but moving on here. Drew Carpshin who previously served as a senior writer for Knights of the Old Republic, was the lead writer for Mass Effect. Despite the fact that each of the game's planets had one primary writer, all of the writers involved in the production had to review each other's work and offer criticism. This process of collaborative feedback and individual effort is common at BioWare, and it behooved Carpson to make sure the style was consistent across all different areas. I wonder if that explains why the last couple planets have so much more dialogue and plot to them. (laughs) <laughs> like that was the, the good, the good writer in the bunch. <laughs> um, one of the biggest challenges the writers faced was the amount of volume they were required to write to support the game's multiple dialogue paths and story outcomes. It took them three years to get everything, in, everything into the game, which featured about 400,000 words and more than 20,000 lines of spoken dialogue. According to Carpshin, that this is roughly the equivalent of 20 movies or four to five full novels. That, that seems like, a bit much to me. Like, I don't think there's that much in this game. I could be wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, there's not that many. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay, here, here's my favorite fact that I found in my research for this game. Uh, films such as Star Wars, Alien, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Blade Runner, Starship Troopers, and they said especially Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, were major influences on the atmosphere and artistic qualities of the game. You know what? I can see that. Like this, yeah, it does have a lot of similarities with Spirits Within. I love that movie. It's actually not a bad movie. It's just not a good Final Fantasy movie. It's not a Final Fantasy movie. Period. I don't yeah. know what the hell they were thinking. There's a Sid. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. There's a Sid. Yeah. The team chose Jack Wall, who also penned the music for Bioware's 205, excuse me, 2005 title Jade Empire, as the main composer of Mass Effect, due to his ability to produce a wide range of musical styles. Hudson had a clear idea of what kind of music he wanted in the game, but gave Wall certain artistic freedoms to express himself. According to Wall, the main vision was to, quote, marry the electronic instrument palette of the 70s and early 80s with more organic elements. Wall had never written this style of music before, but composer Sam Hulick 
helped him develop the electronic sound on a classical orchestral foundation. By the end of the project, composers Richard Jott and David Keats joined Wall and Hewlett to finish the score on time. Uh, a total of 110 minutes of music was written for the game. All in-game and cinematic music was crafted as multiple stems to maximize their use and variety. Uh, how are there that is there that much music for this game, Rich? I I had a hard time getting just enough to get the musical transitions together today. I didn't. Was it like I thought there was like five songs. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't I don't remember hearing much of anything else. So uh, sure. The game went That's gold crazy. on October twenty second, two thousand seven. The soundtrack was also included the M, a song called M four Part Two by Canadian electronic rock band Fonts, which is featured in the game during the end credits, which is actually a decent song. Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of songs in this thing. Whatever. Okay. So Mass Effect was officially announced at the X05 trade show in Amsterdam on October 4, 2005. It's an Xbox 360 exclusive. That's, Yeah. Uh, the game was demoed at E3 2006 and won many most anticipated awards. Um, if the game was pre-ordered at a certain retails in Australia, players could receive a complimentary bonus disc, which included a five-minute behind-the-scenes documentary tracks from the game soundtrack and a certain number of trailers. Unfortunately, the street day was broken by EB Games in Australia before days earlier. They claimed when they received the game early, they took it as a sign to, to being distributing. Because that's how that works. <laughs> yeah, Totally. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's stickers on boxes that say do not open until, you know, don't. Yeah. Anyways, uh, they're Australian. So has your game uh, ever accidentally done that, Rich? Oh, OK. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, the game was released in, in both standard and limited collector's edition format. The collector's editions included a bonus disc of exclusive background material, um, a soundtrack, a design galleries featuring more than 600 pieces of artwork with full audio comment, uh, comment commentaries. Oh my God. Um, yeah. How do you do full audio commentary on artwork? Sounds uh, exhilarating. Look at this brushstroke of this thing <laughs> and this alien piece over here. And I wanted to give it a penis, There you go. but I didn't. So Should have. there you go. Yeah. A Windows version was ported by Demiurge Studios, and that was released on May 28, 2008. This version featured optimized controls designed specifically for PCs, high-resolution graphics, a new user interface, and other minor changes. BioWare initially intended to use SecureROM, a digital rights management software which would require online activation after installation and additional authentication checks every 10 days. However, the company ultimately decided not to use it after listening to criticism from fans. You know, I think I actually remember the news stories about that from back in the day. Could be wrong. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> Maybe I'm thinking of The Sims. I know that was a big deal at one point. Uh, in 2012, Mass Effect was ported to Sony's PlayStation 3 console by a company called Edge of Reality, featuring lighting and visual effects improvements. It was released on the PlayStation Network as part of the Mass Effect trilogy compilation eventually. And then in 2015, Mass Effect was also added to the list of backwards compatible games on the uh, Xbox One. So it's available everywhere, pretty much. But now it's time for my favorite section of these histories. And bear with me because I got a lot of info here. It's, uh, it's my voice actor corner. So this is where I go and look at a bunch of the voice actors in the game and see what other roles we might be familiar with that they have played. So... Male Shepard was played by Mark Meir, who has also played 
uh, Rasad Bashir and the Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 remasters. And that's all I could find on him. He's not a very prolific actor. He does a lot of like work for Bioware, but that's it. However, Jennifer Hale, who is a very prolific voice actress uh, and the voice of female Shepard, also played Black Cat in the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, uh, Miss Keen in the Powerpuff, the Powerpuff Girls, uh, Rogue in a bunch of X-Men properties, Jessica Bannon in The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, Sam and Mandy from Totally Spies, Naomi Hunter, who is my favorite character from Metal Gear Solid, as well as Emma Emmerich from the Metal Gear Solid series, Elena in Grandia 2, remember her? Oh, yeah. Uh, Samus Aran in the Metroid Prime series, so she had like three lines of dialogue for those games. <laughs> uh, Bastilla Sean in the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic series, uh, Sheena in Tales of Symphonia, Catwoman in the Catwoman movie game, which I'm sure was amazing. Uh, yeah. Cinderella and Aurora in Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. Luce Farna in World of Final Fantasy, you know, Lon and Rain's mom. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Sarah Palmer in the Halo series and Agent Maria Hill in the Marvel's Avengers game. So, and that's just her her uh, filmography or actor or whatever you call it. That just scrolls on for pages and pages. I just picked out the most interesting ones. <laughs> um, Allie Hillis, another one most of us are familiar with, is the voice of Liara. And she has many roles as well, such as Meg's singing voice in Family Guy Presents Stewie Griffin, The Untold Story. Karen in, or Karen, I'm not sure, in Naruto. Naruto. Uh, Tracy in the regular show. Palutena in Kid Icarus Uprising. The Computer from the Ratchet and Clank series. Scout Harding from Dragon Age Inquisition. Shout out to Brandon from the his Dragon Age Enchantment podcast for there was a lot of Dragon Age characters. I was like, is this one important? Will people know who that is? I had to consult Brandon on this. Uh, <laughs> Amina from Final Fantasy Type-0. And, of course, our girl Lightning from the Final Fantasy Thirteen trilogy. God, she's such a badass. I can hear it, too. Like, when Liara speaks, I'm like, that's totally Hallie Huss. Um, yeah, she just has to scream at snow, and there you go. There you go. <laughs> Brandon Keener, the voice of Garrus, has also voiced Isaac in Tom Clancy's The Division. Detective Harold Caldwell in L.A. Noir, and Paul Jesus Monroe from The Walking Dead, A New Frontier. Kimberly Brooks, the voice of Ashley, has also voiced Princess Allura and Voltron Legendary Defender. Barbara Gordon slash The Oracle in the Batman Arkham series. Dawn in Pokemon Masters. Angelica Rogner in the Trail of Cold Steel series. Do you know who that is, Rich? Does that character no. ring a bell? No. Okay. Uh, Robin Io in Subnautica Below Zero. So that's the main character in that game. Uh, you guys know how I feel about that. Subnautica. Love it. Uh, Shinobu Jacobs in the No More Hero series. And Hollis Forsyth in Psychonauts 2, which I found very interesting because I was actually going through Forsyth's mind when I did this research. Oh, so Nice. Uh, Raphael Spark. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. The voice of Caden has also played Michael Jonas in Star Trek Voyager. Jake Straka in The Guardian. Jiminy Cricket and Dark Dr. Archibald Hopper in Once Upon a Time, and Karth Onasi in Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. So we see that Bioware likes to reuse their actors. Yep. Stephen Barr, the voice of Rex, also voiced the Tom Barry in World of Final Fantasy. Ooh. But that's all I could find about him that was interesting. <laughs> um, the main antagonist, Saren, is voiced by Fred Tataskiewer, who has also played Poseidon in God of War 1, and Typhon in God of War 2. And, and Ares in God of War 3. So, lots of gods. Um, Largo in Valkyria Chronicles. The tanks and boomers 
in the Left 4 Dead series, and uh, uh, Bane in the Batman Arkham series, and Brutes in the Halo series. So he likes to voice monster characters, I guess. And well, there's uh, a lot of grunts, though. Yeah, true. And Kazuku in many Naruto properties, Hulk in many Marvel properties, Damon Baird in the Gears of War series, Soldier 76 in Overwatch, Dingo Dial in the newer Crash Bandicoot games, Bahamut in World of Final Fantasy. Apparently, World of Final Fantasy and uh, Mass Effect are, are intrinsically connected. <laughs> huh. um, Biggs in Final Fantasy 15, and Don Corneo in the Final Fantasy 7 remake. So they like him over at Square, too, apparently. Hmm. Um, I couldn't find anything else interesting about Tali or Rex's voice actors. Apparently, they're, they're not prolific at all. Um, it's also worth noting that some of the more prominent NPCs are also voiced by well-known accomplished actors. Uh, for example, Captain Anderson is voiced by Keith David, and Joker is voiced by Seth Green. Uh, so I could I could have spent a lot more time looking into what else it's they're connected to, but in the interest of time, we're going to stop at the main cast. So, <laughs> uh, so let's kind of look towards the most recent. Uh, so finally, in 2021, Mass Effect was remastered as part of the Mass Effect uh, Legendary Edition on modern console consoles. So Bioware had previously discussed developing a remaster of the Mass Effect trilogy in 2014, but it did not go. It did not begin work on the project in 2019. Huh. Uh, multiple sports studios were contracted to assist the development, including Abstraction Games, Blind Squirrel Games. Um, early in the development process, Bioware consulted with Epic Games to determine the feasibility of porting the games from their original engine, Unreal Engine 3, to Unreal Engine 4. Uh, Bioware eventually determined that the amount of work required to do so was significant and would involve remaking large portions of the game, such as probably facial expressions. <laughs> Maybe they should um, have. So. Yeah, so it was decided to remain in Unreal Engine 3 due to the intensive timeline Mass Effect 3's multiplayer mode was cut. I don't remember anybody playing that much. I'm not sure anybody Um, was too fussed over that. No. Uh, The remastering was accomplished with artificial intelligence, upscaling programs, followed by manual retouching of many assets, like people's faces. So it's Uh, horrifying. I wonder how how they used to be (laughs) before the retouching. Mm. Uh, the, The team also concluded that certain camera angles were either gratuitous or in need of improvement. So many scenes were altered to remove these explorative uh, shots. So like Exploit. the butt shots. Exploitative. Sorry, I can't read today. I already sneeze. <laughs> um, so the butt shot was gone. Which it makes uh, me sad. I think we even covered that news story a long time ago when that, that came out. <laughs> There's a lot of people that were upset about that. And I was like, who cares? Yeah. Who, who cares? I, I think it's a good, good move personally. Yeah. Uh, by spring 2020, Legendary Edition entered a baseline state and was fully playable, but Bioware felt that the Mass Effect 1 was still lagging behind the sequels in terms of visuals. Yeah, I can definitely see that. <laughs> uh, so the game's original art director, Derek Watts, was brought in to add new details and effects to increase the pr- uh, priority uh, between the three titles. Mass Effect 1 was also received a significant amount of gameplay updates to modernize the experience, such as adjustments to the boss encounters that were originally deemed painful for players. I don't remember that. Yeah, I don't, didn't find any of the bosses very difficult, but maybe oh. they used to be difficult. Um, oh. but, but if they had to like especially focus on Mass Effect 1's graphics to, so that they were closer to the sequels, it makes me wonder what it used to look like. I think it might have just been a hot mess. Um, if I remember correctly, when I first saw this game, um, it looked like ass. <laughs> the ass is so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the game was not without controversy. 
Oh, this is this is fun. I can, this is fun stories here. The romance mechanics, which can culminate in a sex scene containing partial nudity and sexual activity, came under scrutiny Giggity. by neoconservative blogger Kevin McCullough, who employed statements such as, quote, Mass Effect can be customized to sodomize whatever, whomever, however the player wishes. And with its over-the-net capabilities, virtual orgasmic rape is just the push of a button away. <laughs> uh, okay. That's not true at all. That's a that's a big stretch. Yeah. It's a really big stretch. Uh, Nicolo eventually issued an apology, though stated that he still found the material offensive. Get a life. I mean, no. Okay. Maybe you don't like sex scenes. That's that's understandable. Okay. We can draw that line. You may find that it's uncomfortable for you. It's not offensive. Um, it's not like you're pinning an alien down on the ground and going, hey, I'm going to rape you. No, it's not exactly what that is. I, I just don't know where this guy's head was at. Yeah, that. and uh, the, the sex scene with Liara, anyway, was like moderately tasteful on my end. So <laughs> I didn't. And it was like three seconds yeah. long, or maybe like less than a minute. So I don't know. Did, hmm. Here's a, here's another fun one. Uh, okay. Martha McCollum, a Fox News talking head, also criticized the sex scenes. Well-known games journalist and runner of the Video Game Awards, Jeff Keighley, asked her if she actually played the game, to which she responded, quote, no. Electronic Arts requested a correction from Fox News, but Fox simply responded that the company had been offered a chance to appear on the channel and not done so. So, Jeez. Um, Later, McCollum later watched someone play the game for two and a half hours and retracted her earlier statements, saying she had been told the game was similar to porn and noted that she had seen more sexually explicit episodes of the law of lost. So she was just going on hearsay. (laughs) Um, However, in the interim, largely as a reaction from offended gamers, her latest book attracted many negative Amazon customer reviews, some satirically noting that they had not read her book, but had heard from someone else that it was bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Mass Effect was also banned in Singapore for a short time due to a scene with an alien and human female caressing each other, uh, but the ban was later lifted. So, geez. Jeez. Well, okay, so this kind of puts a good point of you can't review a game or give a, an honest opinion without actually playing it. So... You would think. Good job, Fox. Yeah, we know they look uh, all their stories on fact anyway. I think every journalist nowadays is. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's, I, I like how Jeff Keeley just flat out asked us, did you play the game? No. Well, then your opinion means nothing. <laughs> Get back. So, in line. yeah, exactly. That's just, eh. I love those, uh, some of those journalists or people that are just want to take it to a different thought instead of actually playing the game. They're just, oh, these are the reasons why I find it offensive. Why are they even talking it? about Mass Effect on Fox News? <laughs> um, probably around that time. Uh, there was a lot of scrutiny around video games and their content and violence and and whatnot. There's always this topic Probably. that gets brought up of, you know, games create violence and sexual repre- repressed people and yeah. um, everything else. And it's like, there's a lot of studies that say that's not true. So, but that's probably why Jeff Keeley was on there. They asked him because he's a well-known journalist at that time. So it's the one to think of. So moving on from that, <laughs> that we know that journalists are sometimes not good uh, at their job. Uh, Mass Effect has also featured two downloadable content packs. The first pack, Bring Down the Sky, was released as a paid download for the Xbox 360 in March 2008. 
It was and as a free download for the Microsoft Windows in 2008 in May 2008. This pack included in the PlayStation 3 and Legendary Edition versions of the game. Uh, the second pack, Pinnacle Station, was developed by Demerlage Studios. Um, it induced a training facility where the player can complete in eight virtual reality combat scenarios divided into four different game types like Deathmatch, Capture Flag. After beating the combat scenarios, the players needed to complete four more to unlock a special survival mode, which is the same as the previous survival challenges but requires players to last five minutes. Uh, Pinnacle Station was not included in the Mass Effect Legendary Edition of the game due to the loss of its source code. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, which director Mark Wal- uh, Walters described as heartbreaking, although modders have managed to restore it to the PC version. Yep. Okay. How do you lose a source code? We talked about this only a couple weeks ago on, when yeah. we were covering the news uh, that modders have managed to bring it back. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. What, what's The rumor is that Square lost Final Fantasy VIII's source code. And Kingdom yeah. Hearts one source code as well. So it's like, how <laughs> have you like never a, heard? I'm pretty of sure kids backing your shit up. up. Yeah, yeah. Wait, Actually, isn't the source code also on the game disc? Uh, probably not. <laughs> okay, I, I was curious. I, I don't know how that works. I, I figured it'd be like, a, a, it's like we lost the code, and somebody just hands them a disc. Like, well, here's my copy of yeah. the game. You could use that. <laughs> it's surprising that not even like Demiurge had a backup. I don't know. Uh, well, I don't think that studio is even around anymore. Probably not. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, in 2010, ex-Marvel CEO Avi Arad obtained the rights to create a film adaptation of the game. However, the film ran into developmental struggles and was eventually canceled. However, it was announced just recently, in November 2021, that Amazon Studios had begun work on a Mass Effect TV series, which we also talked about on this show previously. I don't. I, I guess I'm confused on how a development struggle and what they would have. Are they they couldn't find actors? Was the there was money involved? I just don't I don't get it. I feel like it's a what curse tell with you video game it? movies. Like you're about developmental yeah. hell for video game movies a lot. Um like there was gonna be a Halo movie, uh the yep. Uncharted movie, which looks like it's actually gonna get off the ground now. But that Oh, started, it's already out there. Yeah. Well it's not it's, out yet. It's coming out in a couple of months. Yeah, right. But it they've been working on it forever. Like yeah. years and years and years and years. Uh but yeah. They had to wait for Tom Holland to get old enough. And he still doesn't look it, but yeah, that, that's just me. My wife wants to watch the movie because it's got uh, him because she loves Tom Holland. Yeah. And uh, Mark Wahlberg. She mm-hmm. loves them both. She's I showed her just like clips. of It's a video game movie. And she saw those two characters like, I want to see it. Mark Wahlberg right. is such an odd choice for Sully, though. Yeah. It's anyway. true. Uh, Mass Effect received critical acclaim from many publications. The game's interactive storytelling and cinematic design were highlighted very positively, while the combat and vehicle navigation were generally seen as the game's weakest features. I disagree. (laughs) The game currently sits at an average of 88 on Metacritic. In the United States, Mass Effect debuted at number 6 on the NPD Group's video game sales chart for November 2007, with sales of 473,000 copies, which was far above BioWare's expectations. It proceeded to sell over 1 million units worldwide within fewer than three weeks on the shelves. Sales rose to 1.6 million copies after six weeks of availability. And in April 2011, it was reported that both Mass Effect and its sequel have combined combined sold more than 7 million units worldwide. The game also received several year-end awards, including Best RPG at the 2007 Spike Video Game Awards, which were would eventually go on to become the Video Game Awards we know today. Just no Spike. <laughs> Um, role-playing game of the year at the 11th annual interactive achievement awards best rpg at the ign best of 2007 awards and game of the year from new york times 
In 2008, IGN ranked the game number one on their list of top 25 Xbox 360 games. Now that's a little bit, that's pushing it a little bit, I would say. Yeah, I'm just, I, I don't, yeah. But yeah, sure. uh, there was a lot to the history of this game, uh, but I, I found a lot of it to be really interesting, especially that stuff with uh, the Fox News and, and Spirits Within and all that. <laughs> what a game. But Good times. are we ready to move on to the story, Rich? Let's go. So I'll give you just a little bit of a setup here before we go into the, the, the point by point what happens in this game. So Mass Effect, as we mentioned at the beginning, uh, is set within the Milky Way galaxy in the year 2138, where interstellar travel is possible through the use of mass transit devices called mass relays, a technology believed to have been built by an extinct alien race known as the Protheans. The term Mass Effect is defined as a form of mass-negating technology allowing the creation of physics phenomena like artificial gravity and FTL, or faster-than-light, travel. A conglomerate body of governments known as the Citadel Council controls a large percentage of the galaxy and is responsible for maintaining law and order among races of the galactic community. Races that belong to the Citadel Council include humans, Asari, Solarians, and Turians. There's other alien races seen in the game, including the reptilian Krogan, the environmental-suited Quarians, and a hostile race of networked artificial intelligence intelligences called Geth. Humanity is represented by the Systems Alliance, an organized body that joined the galactic community roughly 100 years ago. So let me just uh, describe the different races that you encounter in this game real quick, because it ends up becoming pretty important. So, of course, you got the humans, which are, you know, we don't need to explain those. <laughs> uh, there's the Asari, who are all they're these blue-skinned alien women. They're all female, and they reproduce. They can uh, reproduce with any other race, and they're very um, like connected to the spiritual realm and uh, deity. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they can like bond with other races or people's minds. They're, it's a whole thing, and it's based on like a matriarchal society, and they live for hundreds of years. Uh, there's also the Turians, which are kind of like seen as like the the security people. They're in charge of like war and shit. Um, and they, how would you describe how these these guys look, right, Rich? The which ones? The Turians, like Garrus's race. Um, like yeah, a reptile bulldog. Yeah, they got like they've got the jowl thing and uh, basically reptilian. Yeah, in some feature, mm-hmm. but a smaller version of the uh, Krogans. There's a uh, Solarians, which I would describe as being probably the most alien-looking main race, as far as when you think of like little green men with the you know huge black eyes. They're kind of like yeah. uh, 
salamander like almost but they're just known for being like super smart being totally ruthless um they like to avoid conflict at all cost um you meet a lot of them there's the krogan which is a warmongering race they're like these big like almost frog looking people uh and they're (laughs) known for being like really really good in battle um however they tried to rise up against the citadel and then so the salarians came up with a device that made them all um impotent to stop them from multiplying <laughs> sterilized them yeah <laughs> which becomes a, a big plot point later at uh. one point uh so that's you know more morally questionable but apparently it needed to be done um you got the quarians who are these people that um apparently they, they created the geth which are the the main enemy race of this game which are just mechanical people. So they created the Geth, but then the Geth became too smart. Like their AI evolved too much. Classic, you know, sci-fi AI ship. Mm-hmm. And uh, they ran the Quarians off their own planets. And so now the Quarians live on uh, like a flotilla of ships, like only on their spaceships. And they have like no immune response. So they all wear like these suits with gas masks on where you can't see their face. <laughs> Come to think of it, I think Tali is the only one you meet in the game, isn't it? I think so. Wow, I didn't realize that. Um, I already talked about the Geth. And then you've got less important races like the Volus, the Elcor, the Hanar, the, the Keepers. Keepers. Yeah. Um, I really like the Elcor. The, they're those big elephant people. This one thinks you were being rude. <laughs> but- well, Matt, please know that I I am sincere in my gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the Volus are like these little mole people that are, are in charge of businesses. I like the Hanar too. The brain people. Just Yeah. <laughs> but that's about it. Um, Don't yeah. forget, you can have sex with every single one of them. Well, no, you can't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm doing with the, 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 that one dude that wanted to, you know, that, that guy that said that you can have sex with all everything you wanted. I wish you could. Yeah. Just, just push a button. <laughs> but yeah, so that's sort of the setup, what's going on in this game's uh, background. So let's go into what actually happens, and we're going to let uh, Rich kick us off with that. All right. So imagine, guys, open up in a big cinematic view, like Star Wars. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so you're basically introduced to Normandy. So Shepard is a graduate of the Systems Alliance Special Forces program. Um, so he's a very well-known um, soldier. So yep. he basically did some pretty good stuff down on Earth. Um, you know, I think he mentioned a battle that had happened and, um, he did a really well, a good job about that. You can kind of like set up or customize, uh, Shepard's actual background, but it doesn't mm -hmm. end up playing into the game much. I know for me, he was like the sole survivor of a, a, like a massacre war type deal. Yeah. But, uh, that's what I did. Other backgrounds you can give them to. And I think when you choose that background, it will say it in this opening piece of it when, um, I guess the ambassador, Yeah, the ambassador talks about it, and so does uh, Commander uh, or Captain Anderson. So he becomes a candidate to become the first human member of the Special Tactics and Reconnaissance uh, Force, which is called Spectre. That that is so close to being stars for Resident Evil Special Tactics and Rescue Squad. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I think that's why they had to change it. They're like, yeah. uh, let's call it Spectre. Um, agents given broad authority by the uh, Citadel Council to protect the galaxy. So these are basically your secret, uh, not really secret, but your enforcer. Uh, group, they're allowed to break the law uh, in Correct. order to achieve what the council is trying to do. They're like a shadow group, but they call them like the council's right hand. I think is what they say. So yeah, they're the they're 
brutal when need to be and diplomatic when they need to be. So basically they, they get sent in. Um, we talked about the customization background for Shepard as well as the Normandy crew, uh, Nihilus and uh, Caden. So you meet Caden, who's a um, just another soldier uh, that you find basically is, you know, your person. So let's kind of talk about the tutorial mission, which is Eden Prime. Uh, so uh, real quick, Frost says that uh, Shepard was the sole survivor of a Thresher Maw attack, which oh. uh, I guess if you don't do the side quest, you never actually meet a Thresher Maw, but occasionally you you have boss fights with the Thresher Maws. They're like these huge worms that pop up from under the ground. Oh, yeah, I killed one of those with the, with the uh, Mako. Oh, okay, yeah, I don't yeah. think you can kill it. <laughs> Maybe you can, but it would be very hard to kill one without the Mako. Yep. So you get sent to your first mission is uh, Shepard and Caden are sent to the human colony of Eden Prime to recover the unearthed Prothean beacon. So uh, Prothean technology is the ancient civilization that's basically regards the highest by the Citadel. So he's sent there to recover that once there. Yeah, I think it's, it's highly valued because when I think the first time humans found Prothean technology, that's when they figured out how to do like space travel. So <laughs> And that's whenever, you know, they became part of the uh the council, right? Uh, really introduced to alien technology. So once their Corporal Jenkins is quickly killed, um, I think that's uh, just a side character that you meet for like two seconds. And then he actually is in your squad and then he dies immediately. So I was like, I expected yeah. him to die, but I, I was like, okay, you could have made it, you know, more than two steps off the ship. <laughs> yeah, just step, step, die. Yeah. Um, they repel the attack by the Geth. So this is where you meet the Geth and they're kind of weird throwing people on spikes and transforming into the Geth. Um, yeah, and the Geth are not supposed to be like in this area. Like they've never ventured outside of their section of the galaxy before. Which is very disturbing. Yeah. So you rescue Ashley in the process. So Ashley is one of the people that's going to be permanent in your in your deal. Sauron Artorius is a rogue Torian specter. Activates the beacon before escaping, so he turns it on. Uh, Shepard reaches the beacon and receives a vision of war and death. So this is where you kind of get a glimpse of something evil potentially, but you, you find out who was it? Uh, Sauron, Saren killed who was it Jenkins? Uh, no, oh, no, it no, was, no, it was who, the Turian that's coming with you just to evaluate Shepard, whether or not he can join the, the specters. And yes, uh, yes. So Nihilus, he got killed. Yeah. Uh, Saren shoots him in the back of the head. Yeah. What a, what a dick. Yeah. So by the way, Nihilus this was the vision key. that you're shown for the war and the death from the beacons, mm-hmm. like it doesn't make any sense to me. Like even when you get the full version, I don't know how they got anything out of it. <laughs> it just looked like a horrible acid trip. Yeah. So Nihilus is the, is the Torian that's supposed, it's part of the Spectre squad um, that's evaluating Shepard. So this is part of his training or his test. Uh, but obviously Saren kills him. And now you basically have to go back to the Citadel. Which is, uh, uh, it's kind of like the hub world of this game a little bit. It's just like this huge, big, shining, futuristic city. And it's also where the council lives in their tower. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's cruiser summoned by Ambassador Donald uh, Udina. I hate this guy. Who's actually kind uh, of a dick, the human yes. ambassador. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to the Citadel station, but Shepard is unable to convince the C- uh, Citadel Council of Saren's treason without solid evidence. Uh, because they don't believe that he killed somebody or he killed the Nihilus. Uh, they, they say we can't do anything without proof. Correct. So, yeah. Um, Shepard rescues Talia, who possesses a recording and conversation between uh, Saren and Asari Matriarch Benezia. Uh, the two discuss their victory while also mentioning an artifact called the Conduit um, and the return of the Reapers, a highly advanced machine race of sim- synthetic organ- organic uh, starships believed to eradicate 
organic civilizations every 50,000 years. I guess I didn't realize it was a ship is what the Reapers are. I thought they were like something else. So, Well, if you think about it, Sovereign was a ship. Like that's where Saren's base was. Yeah, I guess I didn't I didn't register that. But once you have that tape from Talia and you go to the council about it, uh, the council then agrees to revoke Saren's specter status and make Shepard the first human specter. Uh, Shepard is given command of the of the Normandy by Anderson, and this begins to follow the leads uh, provided by him and Odina in pursuit of Saren. So your whole idea is to uh, chase down Saren to bring him to justice for killing Nihilus and stopping um, a potential war. So right. you have a bunch of side quests, which Citadel side quests. I know, Scott, you could probably speak to these side quests since I didn't do many side quests. I'm not going to talk about the individual side quests that much. There are a Just, few interesting what are your thoughts? ones. Like, um, I know one, you have to go to the uh, the club or and then you go to, there's like this Asari woman who has like a, um, what, what's the word for it? Like a, a sex service or there's a better word for that. A brothel, kind of. Okay, I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, you have to help her out. There's a couple where like you meet this Volus dude who's like a, a um like a master of information and you have to like kill somebody for him and then he gives you the info you're looking for uh this text also doesn't mention that you also meet rex here who is a krogan one of the nicer ones that we meet um and he joins up with shepherd too because he has like a personal grudge against sarah and i believe or something like that um yeah meet- i think so that's yeah. what that is yeah and you meet garris here as well who you know fan favorite He's a Turian that works for CSEC, which is like the police on the Citadel. He kind of is like disillusioned with them and wants to help uh, defeat Saren as well. So he joins up. And it's actually interesting because at this point, you've got like two humans on your your squad and everybody else is an alien. Um, so well, you have three. Three? Oh, no, no. no you're not counting Shepard. Including Shepard. Yeah, Ashley yeah. and Caden. Yeah, Caden. Um, so that, that's your main squad. We're only missing one here, um, which we'll go into uh, now. So the first main story planet, you can go to Theorem, and not a lot happens here. Basically, you're looking for um, a scientist named Liara Sioni, who is Matriarch Benezia's daughter. And I think they think that Liara can give them some information about what happened to Benezia or where Saren is at. Is that correct? I'm I'm forgetting. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. No, so basically, and then because she is a scientist and has been studying Prothean technology. So I think that's where she comes into play. Uh, and then it happens to be the daughter of Benezia. Right. All right. So you go to uh, Theorem and you save Liara there. She's been under like, she's been captured or something by, was it some Krogans? Um, she's, yes. in, she's in this like weird device where she's suspended in the air and like suspended animation and can't do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you do save her and she decides to join uh, Shepard. And she like kind of goes into his mind. Like we mentioned earlier, the Asari can explore your mind. Um, and yeah, they can. She gets you get like a slightly more elaborated version of the vision at this point, but it still doesn't tell you too much. But she decides to stay with you to try and find out more stuff about the Prothean shit that's going on, and also like find out what happened to her mom. And uh, the I don't know about you, Rich, but at this point, she started. Uh, she starts flirting with you pretty early because she's one of the two romance options in this game. Yeah, she wants some of that Shepherd. I decided since there was only the two in this game, I was going to go with uh, Liara because you know Ashley is, as we've discussed, an intergalactic racist. 
Um, I didn't realize that you, you could do that. I didn't realize that you can like flirt with them. So you can end up like hooking up with them. I forgot all about that. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. The, um, the Ashley hit on me once too, or she asked me about my relationship with Liara and I can't remember what exactly I said to her, but I shut her down. So <laughs> I was like, it's Jeez, none of your business Scott. or something like that. But anyway, <laughs> that's really it for theorem. It's a pretty short story planet. Um, then you go to Pharos, which is under, it's a colony uh, under the management of a company called Exogeny. And it's under attack by the Geth. So you're going to try and stop the Geth and figure out what's going on here. And you meet like a, there's a scientist lady that you meet. I can't remember her name exactly. Uh, oh, it was like Lisbeth or something like that. Yeah. And there's like a whole subplot here with her and her mom and what they were trying to do. Do you remember anything about that specifically? Um, I think her, the daughter was a scientist in the area where they were at. I can't remember the name of the corporation, um, but she wanted you to get her out. Right. So and you was do help her. I think it worked out in such a way for me that, that her and her mom were like acquitted and good and all that. Um, but I think if depending on your choices, they might be able to die. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Um, yeah. Uh, basically, you find out here that there's a lot of people in the colony that are under control of this entity called the Thorian. And it's like this big brain-like creature with tentacles attaching itself to the wall of some central chamber. Um, and it's like older. a plant. Yeah, almost plant-like. If you played Resident Evil, think Plant 42. Um, mm. But yeah, so it's controlling a bunch of the people. It literally bursts an Asari clone that it uses to speak to you. And uh, it's apparently older than the Protheans, and so it knows a lot of shit, and that's the Exogeny was trying to use the Thorian for its own means or something like that. Um, so y- you can talk to the Thorian about its motivations, but I don't know if there's any way for it not to end in a boss battle. Um, it sends out these like creatures called husks, which are basically think zombies. Um, you defeat them. Did you have any trouble with this boss battle? Rich. No, I didn't realize it was a boss battle. It has a health bar, I think. Oh, but, um, well, you have to like destroy its tentacles first, something like that. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the, the visuals of this, uh, Thorian birthing an Asari woman is, is quite grotesque. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so you defeat the Thorian, you destroy it, lose untold amounts of ancient knowledge in the process, probably. Um, and you meet the, the Asari woman that was actually cloned. Uh, her name is Shiala, and I think what she used to work with Matriarch Benezia is what is going on here. And she tells you that uh, Benezia is under the control of Saren. Like, if you stay on his ship, the Sovereign, you eventually start getting uh, not mind controlled, but indoctrinated to where you think that Saren's always right and he's doing the right thing. And you want to help him, basically. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that's pretty much it for Pharaohs. You save the day, destroy the Thorian, you learn more about the Sovereign. Which brings us to our third section. Okay. So you're gonna have Navaria to do this, and, a little bit more from memory. I didn't put a lot of detail on this part. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. Um, I may have to have you talk about the bring down the sky because I didn't do that. Oh, right. This is deal that's a DLC stuff. Yeah. So we talk about Navaria, the geth interest about it. Um oh, this I is gotta... the big company planet where you go to hunt down Benezia. Yeah. So you find out that the Geth have potentially gotten to Navaria, but it's not known yet because Benezia is an is a benefactor on the planet. She's a scientist. Uh, Sar, uh, Saren has 
some, I guess, port there. So that's where they can go. That corporation that's there doesn't let people really get too into their uh, subsidiaries, like issues. It lets them just do whatever they want. But you find out that uh, Venezia was actually transporting large boxes onto the planet, but nobody figured out what it was. So you have to go through to gain access to certain parts of the, the port to be able to get out. So you got to talk to Laura Quinn, who is a uh, Turian. I want to say Turian that is actually in charge of the area. Is is he, is Lark in charge of it? Uh, I don't remember the details, but he was like, I think he was like a well-known crime lord or something like that. <laughs> okay. So, and then you actually talk to another person who's like his secretary. The secretary is actually an informant for the for the Citadel and is trying to, or the corporation, trying to bring down Lark because they know that he's corrupt. Um, so that's that's a whole big deal. You finally yeah, get so access I actually to wrote the down their names because I knew I would forget. Um, so the administrator guy is Analeus. He's like the Solarian dude who's racist against humans. And so it's very satisfying when you do get to take him down. Uh, yeah. And then his secretary, who's actually an undercover agent that you just mentioned, uh, her name is Gianna. Gianna. So Gianna gets you, you'd be able to leave because uh, you can't leave the port until because you get an access pass. Um, you finally get the access pass and then you leave. And what jumps out of the boxes? Geth. And they figure out that Geth was transported on there. So the the whole area is trying to figure out how to get the Geth out of there, um, figure out what happened with uh, uh, Venezia. I believe the administrator um, said something like, we just didn't, it was totally normal for these large containers to be, we had no idea they were Geth. And then- uh, Well, Shepard they scanned says, them. Yeah. <laughs> Shepard says something like, uh, well, now you know what to look for or something like that. Yeah. Because uh, the Geth don't give off uh, any readings that they know because they were powered down. So- right. That's crazy. So you get to peak 15, you have to reconnect the landlines. Uh, you have to repair the reactor because some shit broke loose, which is uh, what's the name of those monsters? The Rachni. Rachni. The Rachni break loose. They're like these um, mantis cricket people that are apparently sentient, but all these ones are evil. Uh, according to the lore, I think it was the council originally used the Krogan to eliminate the Rachni. They called them the Rachni Wars. Um, mm -hmm. cause they then, were very bad. Yeah. And then the Krogan of course got too powerful after doing that. And that's when they, you know, got sterilized, but <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, think, think of starship troopers where those bugs were being, yeah, thrown into that's space. exactly what it's they exact look like. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what it is, is starship trooper. These, uh, these alien, you know, mantis, arachne uh, got thrown. They basically take over planets and that's why the, uh, Krogan were thrown in there to, you know, eradicate that. So you go through there, you try to figure out what's going on. What was Saren's interest in the Rachni? Because they I, found a queen. Yeah, I think he wanted to have the Rachni uh, jo just join his forces, like make his because they do mind control, something like that. Yeah, yeah, they do some mind control. So basically, Matriarch Benezia, um, she shows up, and you have to fight her, and you basically knock loose some of the indoctrination that's there. Um, you find out that um, that Saren is using Sovereign, which is the ship, to indoctrinate people um, a little bit more. Uh, Saren's using that ability so that, you know, he can influence anybody uh, and how she's too far gone. So you have to let her kill herself. So she does. You, you know, it's how sad. It's it's uh, Laria's mom. Yeah, I was a little disappointed about that. I, I it was a, a pretty sad scene, but also I felt like Benezia had been built up a little bit more. So to like for her to get off, off like the first time you meet her. I don't know. I was a little let down. 
Well, and then you have the ability to talk to the queen, Rachne, and you get a choice, which is you either kill her or you um, let her go. So the Rachne actually down through the generations, our queens learn from past generations. So this new queen learned of what her past had done, the past queens. So she will actually wants to go to a planet and just be left alone. Right. So she wants to like create. She promises like they'll hide, they'll stay out of humanity business and that all the new Ragni that are created will, will be good Ragni, apparently. Yeah. So uh, I let her go. Yeah, I did too. We'll see what becomes of that. I'm sure that'll come back into play at some point in the future games. Bite your ass. You never find anything else about that in this game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's basically Noveria. I, I actually liked Noveria. I liked how it was a good mix of combat and um, conversations and stuff like that. Uh, speaking of the sovereign ROB in, in the Twitch chat says, to be fair, Saren does make a good argument to join him. So <laughs> that's true, I guess. Okay. So that brings us to the bring down the sky DLC mission that Rich didn't play. Um, sorry, it wasn't <laughs> important. Yeah, it, it really wasn't. Uh, it takes place on this. Oh, I, I said this in the episode before, but I stumbled onto the DLC. That was like the first thing I did after leaving the Citadel. I had no idea it was DLC. Asteroid X-57 just happened to be the first thing I clicked on the map. <laughs> nice. Uh, so it was actually pretty hard because I shouldn't have gone there yet. But basically what's going on here is there's this uh, human colony on the planet below the asteroid. And this race called the Batarians are planning to propel the asteroid to crash into the planet and it's going to kill millions of people. And it's because they got, they've got some kind of grudge or something against humanity. I think they were like devastated by human forces in a past war or something like that. Um, so they're demanding like a lot of money or something like that. So you have to go around the different bases on this asteroid, uh, on your Mako and you meet a bunch of scientists. There's some hostage scientists on this, uh, planet and yeah, so there's not a whole lot to it. Eventually, you do get to the uh, you to a confrontation with the Batarians, and they're they've got like the hostages with them, and you can kind of navigate the conversation and make the choice about whether or not to uh, either let the Batarians go or to kill them. And if you choose to kill them, then the Batarians do kill the hostages, which is what happened to me because Corey was playing and was showing no mercy at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Corey's ruthless. Yeah, I was like, usually we we just come to an agreement on what we want to pick in these decisions, and I was like, I would let him go. I would let him go, and Corey would just like without even asking me, just clicked the other one. <laughs> <laughs> Die. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we got out of that. There's not too much to that. The Batarians don't really come up again. I'm assuming that they're a factor in the sequels, but don't really know for sure. But that brings us to oh, one more funny thing about this that you talk to the head scientist. And he's like, well, I'm assuming there was no way to save the hostages. And we're like, um. <laughs> yeah, there was. Corey decided to murder them. Yeah. All right. So the last section, this is where the plot really heats up. You go to a planet called Vermeer. And basically the idea here is Saren has a base here. And you're going to work with the uh, Solarian squad that has been posted here to basically blow this base up. So you go along the river. You do your, your Mako thing. And then you learn that there are some uh, anti-aircraft cannons on the planet. So the Normandy has to like settle down and it not you know be in the airspace around here. So you meet up with the Solarians and then they reveal the plan. Apparently, Saren has managed to come up with a cure 
for the genophage, which is what uh, makes the Krogans infertile. And so uh, they they basically plan on wiping it out so the Krogans can't, you know, come back to full force. And of course, Rex isn't a fan of this idea. Um, and you actually come into a standoff here and you can lose him if you don't play your cards right. I think this is the first instance where you can actually have a character die. Uh, what happened to you, Rich? I got him killed. <laughs> Didn't, Didn't you mean say to. Ashley shoot him in the back of the head? Yeah, Ashley shot him in the back of the head. She was that racist. I think if you don't have enough persuasion points and you haven't done Rex's side quest, then there's no way to save him or you know talk him down. Yeah, and I didn't. But I was able to, which is fortunate because uh, he's my favorite character. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that happens. Hopefully, I just a side point. I think it's kind of fucked up that they actually came up with a cure for the genophage, and they're like, no, destroy it. Like I kind of get where Rex is coming from. Oh yeah, I can they too. come up to like like a partial? Cure. Can't you can't you download the data? Yeah, or like make it to where instead of they're only one percent fertile or point one or whatever, make it to where like you know one in ten is viable, not one in a hundred yeah. or whatever. <laughs> uh, but alas, so another thing that happens here is the the commander. I think his name is Commander Karahe, the Slarian guy, wants you to send one of your squad members with them to like lead the squad. And so at this point, you got to pick whether you're going to send Caden uh, or Ashley. I don't know why. It's only it can only be them. But yeah, who'd you send? I sent Caden. No, no, I sent Ashley. My bad. Yeah. Wait, wait, who's in the tower? It's oh yeah, Ashley. Yep, I sent Ashley. You get two Kaden choices to decide which bomb. time to uh, take you and which one to send, and it's the second one that matters. But I thought that it was the first one that matters, so I went ahead and sent Ashley there. I didn't want to send Caden because. Spoiler alert, depending on the decisions you make here, either Caden or Ashley dies, and you can't save both of them. And yeah. uh, Caden is one of the few male-on-male romance options in the series. He's an option in Mass Effect 3, so I wanted to make sure that Caden survives until then. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to get at him, yeah, and then exactly. he can die. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I sent Ashley. We uh, Then you go into the forest, the base. You got to fight a bunch of Krogan and a bunch of Geth and disable satellites and all that shit. Not a whole lot interesting happens here. It's just like a pretty standard mission. Uh, then you get to the end and you plant the nuke. They're, they're literally going to nuke this this place. So you start setting up the bomb. And then I think this is where you have an encounter with Saren. Um, they argue for a while on um, like what's right. And Shepard's trying to get through to Saren. And tell him like, no, you were being controlled by Sovereign. Like you are not, you don't have, you are, you're already indoctrinated. And yep. Saren's trying to prevent that. Um, but there's, you can't really talk him down, and you do get into a boss fight here with Saren. He flies around on his hoverboard, which I thought was an interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're kind of like before that, you actually re- you learn. Wait, is that before you learn that uh, Sovereign's a Reaper? Um, I think you don't know yet, or maybe okay, you do. Okay. I know around here you also run into like the Sovereign's projection or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you have a long conversation with Sovereign, um, just like trying to, you know, tell him. He's basically explaining what the Reapers are. They're like this huge race of mechanical alien ship people that all lived in deep space. And he's left behind as a sentinel to make sure that once every 10,000 years or however long it is, all the Reapers come back and wipe out all biological life. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I think the explanation is their motivations are beyond our understanding, which is odd, but... 
Yeah. So the uh, that's obviously not good. You have your boss fight with Saren, and then you learn that the other squad that you sent, the Slarian squad's in trouble. So at this point, you have to make a decision. Are you going to go save them, or are you going to go save the person uh, trying to set up the nuke? And, of course, I had Caden setting up the nuke. So, sorry, Ashley. Uh, you know, the Normandy flies down. You save everybody except for the people in that squad, and you fly off. And Ashley actually died for me. And wasn't it the other way around for you? Yes, I, I went and saved Ashley and left Caden. Because I wanted Caden to have an honorable death and be heroic. <laughs> okay. I just picked Ashley. I don't know why I did. It'll be. I know we're eventually going to play the other games. It'll be interesting uh, for you to explain how Ashley gets better with her racism, because that's what I've heard from everybody. Maybe she has a, a, a redemption arc or something. Maybe she sleeps with an alien. I don't know. There you she go. Falls in love with an alien. That happens. So at this point, you fly back to the uh, oh, Frost in chat says the genophage was only partial sterilization. It was designed to slow reproduction, but was probably overdone. Yeah, uh, I know. It was just saying that, like, I think the game tells you that's like one in a hundred pregnancies are viable or even maybe not even that likely. So, yeah. So, I mean, the race is literally going to die out eventually. So, um, which maybe was the idea. Yeah. So you go back to the Citadel at this point and they're actually pissed at you. I can't remember why. Is it because of the, uh, you said a nuke off. That's why you blew up a a big portion of a planet. I thought we were supposed to be able to do whatever we want, you know? Oh, well. So they actually strip the ship and your spectredom from Shepard. And you're locked down at the Citadel. You can't leave. So you meet with Captain Anderson at the club, and he's devised this this plot to get you out of there. And so really he's going to... Yeah. <laughs> well, his, his plot is to walk into the ambassador's office and punch his daylights out. Yep. And then hack his computer. I like it. It's a it great works. plan. It was nice thing. I thought it was funny because Shepard's like, how are you going to pull it off? And he's like, I'll think of something. <laughs> what he yeah. thought of was just sock him. <laughs> yeah. Very barbaric. Captain Anderson's pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, you get off the Citadel and you got to go to Ilos now because this is where the conduit supposedly is. And Saren's there. So you get dropped in. You get sealed off from Saren. Uh, spoiler alert, Saren is able to get a hold of the conduit, unfortunately. Uh, on the way, though, you learn you meet a Prothean VI named Vigil. Not Virgil, as I said when we actually did this RPG club. Oops. <laughs> um, you learn that the Citadel is actually an enormous mass relay station that the Reapers use every so often to invade the galaxy. And... During the last extinction cycle, that's how the Protheans were wiped out, apparently. They tried to fight back, but, you know, we saw how that went. And uh, a few Protheans actually survived via uh, cryogenesis on on Ilos. And this VI, Vir- Vigil, almost said Virgil again, was left behind to, you know, kind of keep them alive and everything. But, of course, eventually they had to die because they were low on power. Um, so... Yeah, you learn about the Citadel being a conduit, and apparently the Keepers, the Mantis people that live there, uh, that nobody knows what they're there for, but they they were like originally left there so the Citadel could be activated. Um, so that was a reveal too. It was like their first, the Reapers' first civilization it captured, yeah. um, and basically just made it so that they would turn on the mass relay in the Citadel so they can arrive. Right. So. so this is not good, obviously. You got to go save the Citadel. You leave the planet and you head off to back to the Citadel. 
Uh, this is the part where the romance scene happens. If you have furthered your relationship far enough, some uh, yeah. s- some nice blue alien ass or some nice white nice white, white alien racist ass. ass. Um, but you don't have to do the romance i don't think i think you can reject both of them if you try hard enough i got i got uh what was it she uh i tried to do it again uh with with her because it had an she said something after we were done and i was like you want to go for round two and then it something happened so i couldn't do it i was like wouldn't that be something if you could just go and talk to him at any time and like i want to see the sex scene again yeah, just do it. <laughs> that would be something. And then Ashley's pregnant, or uh, oh god, L- L- Liara is pregnant with your kid. Just that should be that. Okay, Mass that would Effect, surprise me. If you missed an opportunity. Mass Effect Three ending did that or something, but yeah, well, they missed an opportunity to like Mass Effect Two or uh, Two or Three. It shows that uh, there's a little child running around. Yeah. It's a blue child or a white <laughs> child. <laughs> so it's your child at the Citadel. You. Uh, there, there's like this full-on Star Wars battle going on between Saren's forces and you know the the Council, the Citadel forces. Uh, Citadel's yep. on fire, everything's burning, and the Council is trying, yeah, is trying to evacuate on their ship. Um, you do have a, you, you kind of have to run a, the Reaper ship. Sovereign eventually makes it in and attaches to the Citadel, and it's getting ready to like open open it so the rest of the Reapers can come through. Uh, you meet up with Saren. You have a conversation and debate with him. It is possible to um, talk him down to where he actually shoots himself uh, because he doesn't want to be under the Sovereign's control. But you yep. just went full force, like commit Blasto on him, didn't you? Yeah, I didn't care if he was mind controlled. I wanted him gone. Makes sense. So I, I said, you know what? Here's a bullet in meet your face. Even if he shoots himself, though, the Sovereign is still able to resurrect him into like some resident ev- evil tyrant form of <laughs> yeah Saren. well he was also modified so that's part of the reason why is i think didn't sovereign basically modify him in a geth form of some fort some sort so he was half geth half um uh Solari- or what he's a he's a yeah you're right i forgot about that yeah so that's the reason why he was able to do that i don't think it would have happened if he wasn't half geth right so saren's gone and so then you get an, another important decision. Uh, you have to decide whether it's important to save the council or if it's more important to just make sure you win the battle and not worry about them. And I think we made opposite choices here, too. Yes, we did. Um, I said let them burn because they, they were dicks and wouldn't listen to you. I, I just decided to save them because I figured, like, even though that they were kind of dicks, um, that without the council that the civilization would fall apart. Like they were kind of a necessary quote unquote evil, but you know, it's going to be really awesome is when, you know, I guarantee you will happen. We'll play the rest of these, me and you will, um, how our decisions, cause they all affect each other. Yeah. How those decisions will play out down the road for us. It's going to be interesting to see like how much it actually matters. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I so, lost Rex. You kept Rex. You right. slept with Liara. I slept with Ashley. I killed the council. You let them live. So yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad we'll we see. didn't make opposite choices. It's pretty, uh, yeah. Pretty interesting. Um, so in my case, this this council was saved. And at this point, they decide to actually let um, there be a human seat on the council. And uh, you have the choice to make the, the human council member either Captain Anderson or Ambassador Udina. I don't know why you would pick Ambassador Udina. So <laughs> I picked Anderson. Yeah. I pick, okay. See, I picked Anderson as well. So we did not make a 
bad decision there. Um, I do know what happens if you pick Udina. I think you told me this, didn't you? Yeah. So they decided for the council to be only humans and uh, that the aliens won't be allowed on it. And Ambassador Udina is like, we will be the new leaders of the galaxy. Everyone will shut up and fall in line. The aliens will be subject to human will. Um, so that's racism. Yeah. <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> Yeah, Frost sent me the the video clip of that, and I was like, "Okay, why don't you just go go like full Emperor Palpatine ambassador?" <laughs> I mean, he's that's basically, basically what it was that. like. Just get him a black cloak, and he's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's the outcome. Basically, Shepard just says we're gonna our work's not done. We have to end the Reaper threat for good and roll credits. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, what did you think overall about the story? Um, overall, the story was meh. I, I like the ending piece of it, like the where all the story details got dumped. Mm-hmm. Uh, because honestly, you didn't find out anything until towards like Helios or uh, Vormir or Vamir, not Vormir. That's yeah. Marvel. I liked the scene with um, with Vigil, but that was like a if you go through all the dialogue options to get all the info you can out of it, it's like a yeah. twenty minute exposition dump. Oh god, of them just no. standing there and him talking to you. It's and, and I feel like delivery. that's where some of these games. Yeah, I feel like this, so some of these games do that is they have so much story they need to dump on you. They're like, you know what? Just do text box. That, yeah. That's just, we'll just do that. Um, instead of actually playing it out better. I, but here's the thing. We don't make these games, so we don't know for sure how much time and effort goes into that. Um, but the ending was very heavy. It wasn't balanced, I should yeah. say. And the only plot point that needed to wait that long really is the fact that the Citadel is a relay station for the Reapers. Yeah, um, a lot of that other info could have been spread out a little, a little bit more. Yeah, um, I will say I liked the story generally, but it mm-hmm. wasn't paced well, like you said, and it it takes a while to heat up. Like there's a middle part, early middle part of the game really drags, especially if you do the side quests. There's so many side quests, like a deceptive amount. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is uh, let's let's ask this question: uh, How many hours did it take you to complete this game? Well, I'm never ready when anybody asks me that. Um, I want to say was, I, I will ask you this question every time. You should know that by now. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll have the answer for sure next time. But, it, okay. you know, I think the estimated thing was like 20 hours. If you do everything, I'm pretty sure mine was like 30 or 40. Maybe yeah. not quite 40. Mine was 10. Yeah. So <laughs> I use the story stuff. Yeah. If you just stick to the story, a little bit of side quest here and there. Um, but, yeah, it's you can complete this game eight to 10 hours. Yeah. But if you go full force and take full advantage of it, you can get him up 40. Yeah. Corey definitely told me that uh, other than the amount of side quests, he actually enjoyed the game. So that's good. Um, we'll be we'll be playing Mass Effect 2 eventually. Hopefully it'll be a little bit more well balanced. Yeah. Um, what, what was I your... don't see where I, I, I don't see where this game was top tier. I just don't. Yeah. I think it's a good game. And I know yeah. we have some of our listeners that disagree with us, but apparently Mass Effect 2 and 3 are way better from what I've, I've been hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, a lot of people are seeing this game as like a launching off platform for the rest of the true greatness of the series. Okay. Um, did you have it, like any favorite or least favorite uh, characters? Um, I really did not like, um, well, uh, I didn't like Udina. Um, the council could have been better fleshed out. I think I can't um, even tell you their names. And then also so. <laughs> I, I, I can't either. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, I felt that Saren wasn't a very strong villain. Not if that really. makes any sense. 
they needed to do a little bit more work to develop him because by the time, I mean, it makes sense, but by the time you're dealing with him, he's already pretty much fully under the sovereign's control. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, what is his motivation? Like, how did he get captured? Where did he find the Saren ship? Like, what's, you know, why? Yeah. why? I mean, all the only reason why we're after him in the very beginning is because he killed Nihilus. Right. And and you found that vision of like of something bad could be happening and Saren's a part of it. Okay, but why? Yeah. So I, I that's that's my beef with it. Um it's still a good a good game. I just don't think it's top tier the story wise. I don't I don't think so. Who was your favorite squad member? Uh favorite squad member was Guys. Garris. Oh, Garris, yeah. yeah, Garris. I like Garris. A lot of people really like Garris. I I'm a little confused though, because I didn't have anything against Garris, but I just he was kind of boring to me compared to some of the other characters. I think he picks up in the one air and two and three. I'm assuming so. Um, my favorite was Rex, although I also really liked Tolly. Caden um, is, is boring. I thought like he's basically vanilla toast. Um, so it was Ashley. They're yeah. both that way. Yeah, kind of. Ashley had a, a if you talk to her, she has a lot of stuff about her backstory she can tell you about. But it's kind of boring. Obviously, she was a racist. And yep. what about Shepard himself? Or, or herself. Um, I do. I, I mean, from what I've heard that the femme Shep, she's supposed to be, she was supposed to be, that's who it was. It was supposed to be a female shepherd, but they put it as a male in the first game. Um, overall, I mean, he was, man, eh, he yeah. wasn't really, uh, he wasn't a very well done protagonist. I think he's very blunt. Opinion. He just yes. says what he means and means what he says. <laughs> but yep. I think that's partially because of the dialogue options and stuff like that. Like they have to, they can't give him too much personality, but correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, we got anything else we want to add about this? The story? No. Um, I'm curious. Overall, the story. Um, I think it it could pick up. I mean, if we think about it, this is probably part. This is part one of the story. There's yeah. part two, which is Mass Effect two, and part three is obviously the final conclusion of it. Mm-hmm. So, if we go at it like that, um, overall, so I would like to see what me and you think about it once we complete the trilogy. Right. So me too. I don't think it'll be too long before we give two a try. I've got some other games I want to complete first, but Tales of Arise. Like Tales of Arise. <laughs> um, I need you to do this. Yeah. Soon. Soon, my friend. Yes. All right. But for now, we're going to leave it there and move on to our outro. that's it for part one everyone we've learned a lot about mass effects history and we've relived that uh interesting story (laughs) rich is doing finger quotes but as for (laughs) next week what do we got rich all right so hopefully everything comes up to line there uh we will be doing mass effect review part two uh where we discuss the gameplay and we will give our ratings for this and uh we will also be able to to uh, have all your listener feedback. So if you haven't already given us feedback, go into our Discord, go into the Mass Effect RPG Club uh, channel, 
and let us know what you think about the game. We'll read it live on the show. Yes. We'll also be able to announce the nominees for the uh, RP- the next RPG club. So Yay. we don't have a game right now. Uh, we're, we're in in-between games. But nominations will be closing when we're recording next week. And so we'll be able to tell you what the RPG club game might be. It's yeah. not too late. If you want to join the patron at the $5 level, you too can uh, affect what game gets selected. Yes. Onto the plugs. You can rate and review us over on uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever podcasting service you may happen to enjoy. Uh, we would really appreciate it. It helps to show out. We would also really appreciate it if you guys could tell your friends, tell your other RPG-loving friends about us. We th- would like to think we have a good, do a good job here and spread the word and the love. Yes, yes. So speaking of Patreon, what we've talked about briefly a couple times is Patreon is the great way to support the show, um, helps you uh, helps grow a little bit more and be able to put more back into the show. Um, with Patreon access, you get early episode access, ad-free episodes, aftercasts, extra reviews, the RPG Club, which we're talking about now to be able to help influence the next game and many, many more. Um, you can find this at patreon.com forward slash RPG after years. Yeah. We've also got uh, we've restructured the Patreon a little bit lately. We're going to uh, be doing some different new benefits uh, in the new year, uh, such as Bill and I are going to get together to do commentaries on animes. Um, we got some new ways the hastes work. Disa and Frost have already announced their new hastes, so I'll I'll say what those are next week as well. Uh, take a look. We're we're hoping to really uh, amp crank up what's going on with the Patreon in the the new year. Hey. You could also join the show, be a part of the show on Twitch. We stream every Sunday, usually at 9 a.m. Eastern time. And as you heard a few times throughout this episode, we do uh, communicate with the people in chat live on the show. So yes, you can hello, find Twitch us people. Yeah. Hi, everybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can find us at twitch.tv slash RPG after years. And if you're looking for just just some casual gameplay, I also stream to Twitch uh, on my own personal channel. That's at twitch.tv, the underscore Scott underscore spot do it it's a fun time i'd have a blast it's so fun um uh you can also email the show rpg after years at gmail.com now if you want to talk to us uh, a little bit more in depth and our community definitely check out our discord uh the link can be found in the show notes or our pinned tweet on twitter come join the conversations and uh, it's a great time speaking of twitter you can find the show's twitter account at rpg years you can find me at the Scott Spot. You can find me at Hailblue1569. And that's going to be it for episode 92. Uh, join us next week for episode 93, in which we will complete the review and draw this RPG club to a close. But until then, we're going to mass re- relay ourselves right out of here. I'm Scott. I'm Rich. And this has been the RPG After Years. Bye, Bye guys. Bye.